Ho, ho, ho. From Mary Milheim, directly under the mistletoe that hangs over the pine green center of the Keystone State, this is Lou, Santa Claus Bryson, opening up my bag of gifts to deliver this festive episode of Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about food and drink in central Pennsylvania. Welcome back after my four-week hiatus. This is season two of the show, and we're starting with the smack dab center of the holidays episode. There's a holiday feel around here. All the pretty lights are on, and I've been pulling together all the drinks, food, and central Pennsylvania atmosphere that make the holidays come alive for folks. What's an old loose sack this time? Let's see, boys and girls. Oh, here's one of your favorites. It's an interview with the very smart folks at the Food Sciences School at Penn State, and it's all about holiday hams. That's the inside scoop from the meat lab, so you know that's a good one. What else? Oh, looky here, I have a very nice interview with Miss Ruby at the Hummingbird Room in Spring Mills, one of the East Coast's pioneers of the farm-to-table movement. We're going to chat about their great holiday takeout menus with ham and lasagna and tarts and that fantastic salmon mousse. Oh, be careful, that's hot. We have three of my favorite hot drinks, a hot toddy, Glühwein, and the toast of Coal Cracker Country, Boilo. I'll tell you all about them, how to make them, And yes, we'll drink some. And if that doesn't warm you up, we're going to cook a batch of my wife's family's favorite dinner for winter days, a delicious and easy fish chowder that can go in a lot of different directions. Is there anything else in there? Of course there is. You don't think I'd forget the Christmas candy, do you? I've got an interview with the folks at Gardner's Candies in Tyrone, where they put the magic in peanut butter meltaways. I got a tour, and I got some great pictures. Pictures? That reminds me. At the end of this episode, you'll get the details on how to enter our very first Seen Through a Glass contest, with a chance to be the first to get some of our upcoming podcast merchandise. We're going to do all that in a special supersized holiday episode. But first, here's what I'm drinking today. And if you listened to last year's holiday episode, you know I'm going to be drinking more than one thing today. First is Samuel Smith Winter Welcome Ale. Now, I've been drinking beer outside the mainstream for over 40 years, and Sam Smith's Winter Welcome has been on my table almost every winter since 1990. Some years, I bought a 12-pack of the 500-milliliter bottles and gave half of them out as Christmas presents. Because every year, there's a different Christmas-themed label with a beautiful painted scene of some part of English Christmas. This year, it's a decorated steam excursion train. This beer is always a tour de force of the delights of British malts and of the signature Sam Smith yeast. Comes in at about 6.0% ABV and a fairly low IBU of 32. Let's get at it. This pours a a nice light copper, kind of like a lightly used penny. Nice parchment, creamy white head on it. Not a lot of head. Uh, I mean, this is a... It's a bottled English ale, so it's just a a light but tenacious cap of foam on here. Mm. I smell um, kind of an earthy, nutty aroma. Uh, Some of that's from the yeast. Some of that's from the uh, the English hops. Mm. And there's a nice, bready freshness here as well. Oh, boy. If you ever had digestive biscuits, um, the very plain English cookie, it's just a, a nice whole wheat cookie. This is a lot like that. It's got some of those same kind of dryly sweet malt flavors. But there's also 
some of that um, kind of earthy floral hop aroma and and a, a, a nice bitterness on the end that I really don't think I ever noticed before. That is um, that is mouth filling, but refreshing at the same time. I, I love this beer. I love when it comes out. And you know, if you never had any of the Sam Smith ales, you really ought to take a look. This one, the the classic pale ale. My wife and I actually had pale ale in our room the night of our wedding. We had a an, an ice bucket, and instead of champagne, we had four bottles of Sam Smith pale ale in there. Uh, the Taddy Porter, the um, the oatmeal stout, the Imperial stout. These are all fantastic beers that have sadly been left kind of in the in the dust of American craft beer. They deserve your attention. They're very very good beers, and this one. Ooh, kind of caps things. Mm, love this beer. Go find some. I get this as Wegmans. It was a, a four-pack of, of bottles. Very good. Well, that's one down. I got to tell you, Santa's going to need some snacks if this is going to keep up. Now, one of the things that surprised me when we moved here was the butcher block at Penn State. It's a butcher shop with excellent beef, pork, lamb, and sausages, and it's about 100 yards from Beaver Stadium. They're only open on Fridays and only during the fall and spring semesters at Penn State. You have to get there early. They open at 9, and there's always a line. And when they're out, they're out. The meat is all raised, slaughtered, and butchered at the university. And the sales from the store help fund the Penn State Meat Laboratory. But, you know, that's a whole story on its own and one that will be coming up on the show in 2024. I already did the interview. But what I talked to Dr. Jonathan Campbell about this time was holiday hams. The meat lab does a small number, under 100, of hams for the holidays, and you have to know how to order them, which we'll talk about in the interview. But we'll also talk about how the hams are made and how to roast your ham, whether it's a Penn State meat lab ham or not. Let's go. Hey, I'm here with uh, Jonathan Campbell, Extension Meat Specialist. Is that right? Did that, I get that right? That's correct. Okay. Uh, we're at the uh, the meat lab at Penn State, the place where all the good meat happens. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I asked people, what do, what do the holidays mean to you uh, in central Pennsylvania? And a lot of people's talked about the holiday ham. Okay. So Great. tell us about the hams. How, how are they prepared? Uh, well, so actually, we, we will be making them this coming Thursday. Oh, okay. The... Seventh, seventh. That's okay. correct. All right. Yeah. So December seventh, we will we will start curing those hams. Mm-hmm. It's about a ten day process, and so uh, for those of you that may not be familiar, the ham comes from the hind leg of the pig, and obviously they have two two hind legs. <laughs> right. Maybe that's not so obvious to some people, but <laughs> for the most part, we like them to have two hind legs. Yeah. So uh, we would take we would take that cut of meat uh, and go through a we we use a brine curing method here. Primarily water, salt, sugar, okay, um, maybe some brown sugar in there, and then cure, which but, is but no real spices, no real spices, okay, um, salt, sugar, and you might you might have uh, some people would put something called a ham spice in there, okay, um, which is kind of that holiday smell if you want to think of it right. that way, and so some of the some of your aromatics that that are traditionally thought of as this time of year, so maybe clove, cinnamon. Nutmeg, allspice, those types kind of, of stuff you put in a ham glaze correct, to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And not everybody does that uh, when making a ham, but just a just a good basic ham would um, salt kind of a great okay. preser- good thing to have a preservative in there. 
Um, <laughs> most people don't think of salt as a preservative, but it is the original preservative, right? right? Uh, water just helps to make that process go faster. Okay. Um, so we're not trying to sell water or make the ham cheaper by any means, but doing that, it just speeds up the curing process because okay. otherwise it would take about a month to do the same thing. If we just put dry salt and other ingredients on the surface of that ham, it might take about a month. To oh, do. but so it would, would have the same effect. It would have the same effect okay. other than it would dry the ham out. Okay. And so if you think about traditional curing back to antiquity, right? Oh, right. Romanticized ham curing, we call those prosciuttos or in Spain, you might have a Serrano ham or an Iberico ham if you want to get to the pinnacle of, of those dry cured hams. Or, or a country ham? Yeah, country yeah. ham. That, that would be prosciutto's redneck cousin. Right, right. And since I grew up in South Carolina, I, I can have the full authority to say that, right? Because <laughs> I'm related to a lot of those folks. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, that process dries the ham out as a means to preserve it. And right. So we're using modern refrigeration and water to get that salt and and cure ingredients and and the reason we add sugar would just be to counterbalance some of the harshness of salt oh okay yeah so most consumers only tolerate somewhere between maybe one and a half and 1.8 percent less than two percent salt uh, and that brine may have five percent salt in oh. it not all of that is getting into the ham obviously uh you wouldn't be able to eat it okay um, but it may have around two percent salt in mm-hmm. in the in the product um, and that's a good preserving method along with that refrigeration. What, what is the cure doing? So the cure is actually uh, distributing ingredients all throughout the ham so that the surface of that ham tastes just like the center of that ham. Oh. And, and then the main curing ingredient uh, that is seemingly controversial is sodium nitrite. Oh, okay. Well, sodium nitrite is one of the best... Uh, ingredients that we use in the meat industry to fight uh maybe you've heard of botulism or food poisoning <laughs> yes. right that would not be a, that would not be a, a good um outcome for most individuals so right. we want to prevent that from happening in our customers and so sodium nitrite which is a regulated and highly restricted ingredient is used to uh from a food safety perspective it's also used to make sure that ham gets that nice uniform pink what we think of as a, oh, a okay. pink cured color mm-hmm. right yeah, I mean, because when you start the cure, it just looks like pork. Exactly. Right. Okay. And, it, and if you if you cook, um, it's some, like shrimp. Some yeah. people think shrimp come pink. They, they don't. They don't. They don't. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, and so heat does play a role in that in that chemical reaction. Oh, right? okay. So when we smoke and cook those hams in our smokehouses, that helps to uh, facilitate and complete that curing reaction and and really chemical reaction that's happening inside that meat. And that's really kind of what, where I got my start in, in meat science. So oh. those types of questions really drew, uh, drove, drove me to want to learn more, more and, and do things more correctly and, and safely for our customers. The show is going to come out the 16th. Is that too late for people to get a ham? Or are we talking about hams for next year for most people? Yeah, you're probably talking. We do hams at, uh, around springtime, too. So around the, okay. the Easter oh, holiday for Easter. as okay. well. And and so we will do hams twice a year typically. So how 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 do people order a ham? Um, there's a couple of ways. Um, they can certainly email uh, our meat lab manager, fantastic staff member in in our college. Helps clubs, helps uh, researchers, helps teach classes, uh, and he's been here for over thirty years. And so Glenn Myers is a is an integral component to to this operation. 
Um, we certainly could operate without him. We don't want to operate without him. <laughs> so, okay. Um, but you can email Glenn directly. Uh, his email address is glm15 at psu.edu. Okay. That seems pretty straightforward. And so our, our last um, meat sale of the year will be, unfortunately, after this airs. Um, or before this airs. Or it, it will be before. I'm sorry, yes, you're right. That's okay. that's <laughs> I all apologize. Right. That's all right. it, it will be before that this episode airs, unfortunately. Okay. But we can still learn about some uh, hams. They may have a ham uh, ready for for the holidays that they purchased somewhere well, that's, else. That's what I wanted to ask next. Or maybe they did purchase it here. Uh, maybe right? they did. How, <laughs> how do you prepare that ham? That's a fantastic question, and so we try to, um, so that customers are happy with the with the product. That's that's really one of our uh, primary goals, besides uh, safe and high quality products, is to make sure that the customer has some education associated with how they prepare the products. And so, generally, you don't want to. This this product is already fully cooked, so you're wanting to just simply gently heat that product. Um, and a good rule of thumb would be somewhere around uh, an oven that is. Uh, 325 degrees Fahrenheit with a little bit of water in that pan. And and having that water in that pan helps to keep the, the ham from drying out during during the reheating process. And about 10 minutes per pound to no more than 12 minutes per pound. So you're just simply, again, trying to gently heat that ham okay. uh, to make sure that it's nice and, and hot and uh, safe when you go to eat it. Other people have mentioned... Some people said they a holiday box of meat. Is that a thing? That is a thing. Oh, um, okay. So, so we try to um, organize some of our best sellers throughout the year. Most of these are uh, products like our summer sausage, jerky, snack sticks, and our uh, salami. Okay. That, that is a lot of those products are now um, world awarded. Oh, uh, believe oh, it or nice. not. And so our summer sausage and all of our salami products um, are world awarded through the German Butchers Association. Oh, okay. Which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so they all those products received a gold medal in an international competition that they were entered in. So two, two snack sticks, one summer sausage, one package of jerky, two salamis, and creamery cheese. So the white cheddar. Oh. Uh, the white cheddar that, that you can purchase at the creamery all goes into a, what we call a holiday gift box. That can be can be shipped if needed, or just well, we have a lot of customers that will buy several and give out to their work colleagues as okay. a, as a gift, um, and that's fifty five dollars. Okay, all right, and that's and I know I'm asking the person that will tell me that of course it is, but it is safe to ship. Uh, it is safe to ship. Most of those products are shelf stable. The cheese might be the component that you want to uh. consider, and so. I I don't make the cheese. I'm not a I'm not okay. a, I'm not a dairy specialist. I'm not a dairy processing <laughs> specialist. But if if the the cheese has indication on there that it should be kept refrigerated, and any product that says kept refrigerated, you can still ship it. You just maybe need to take some care into putting it into a cooler box, and certainly you're going to pay more for shipping because of that. Right. Okay. So either next day or two day shipping um, to make sure that that product is is still. Re- under refrigerated conditions by the time it gets to where it's going. Okay. So. All right. Um, that'll, that'll do it. Happy holidays. Hey, Thank happy you. holidays. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, I'm afraid it's probably too late to order a Meat Lab ham for this Christmas. But, you know, they do take orders for Easter, too. So you might want to think about getting your order in. Easter's pretty early in 2024. Now, if you want some great Christmas meats this year... Friends tell me that the holiday kielbasa at Furlick Packing in Johnstown is worth the trip. 
you better take it cooler because you're going to want more than a little of it. And I'll definitely vouch for the kielbasa in all its forms at Kowalnik's Kielbasa Shop in Shenandoah, Pennsylvania. I'll also note that I got the very best sauerkraut this Pennsylvania Dutchman has ever eaten at Kowalnik's. But we'll probably get our holiday meats, especially our New Year's Day pork roast, right here at Penns Valley Meat Market in Milheim, which Dr. Campbell praised as a very good program. Thank you very much. Speaking of good eats, you will always find the very best of good eats at the Hummingbird Room in Spring Mills. We had no clue about this place when we got our place in Milheim in 2016, but friends quickly clued us in, and we were astounded by the level of the cooking at a simple house in this tiny village less than 10 minutes down the road from us. It is one of the luckiest things we've fallen into, and we ate there as often as we could arrange, until the pandemic. And, you know, the Hummingbird Room, like so many places, pivoted, and we did too, and we got their take-home dinners, which are so wonderfully prepared. But now that we're here in 2023, almost 2024, I was wondering if we would ever sit down for a wonderful Christmas dinner at the Hummingbird Room again. So I got in touch with Claudia Sarno and set up this interview to ask her. We did the interview you're about to hear, and about 20 minutes into it, my dream came true, just a little, and I got to eat at the Hummingbird Room again. Hey, no more teasing. Let's talk farm to table, mega yachts, and salmon moose. Hey, I'm here with Claudia Sarno. Uh, at the Hummingbird Room, she's the <laughs> co-founder, co-owner, baker, janitor, I assume? <laughs> Often. All that. <laughs> it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Lou. Yeah, thanks for, I, I mean, you are in the peak busy season. Right in the thick of it. Yeah, and you're taking a little time for us. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Yeah. This is what we do. Out there in the parking lot. And I'm like, here, it's it's a miserable day. It's 1 o'clock on a Sunday, and we're both taking the time to do this. I'm like, why does anyone do these jobs? Because it's great when it's, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it's really great. Is. <laughs> it's so fulfilling. First things first, this show is going to drop on December 14th. What can people still get? What can they still order? Um, we are making, creating, baking, <laughs> packaging Right up until December 23rd. Okay. What we've done with this new, which I'm sure we'll get into, our new business um, plan um, focuses around specific dates Mm -hmm. with a maximum quantity of effort. And then we go away and we come back next week. So we're not an every day of the week thing, but Mm -hmm. we have targeted the next three, we have Saturdays in December. So... By the 14th, we have um, the 23rd and the 16th. So we have two weekends where we have an amazing array of retail items and bakery goods. And we have a fantastic um, holiday dinner that we put out on the 23rd. A beautiful looking dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a nice dinner. Yeah. So we have um, how do people find that menu? Okay, that is the trickiest part of what we do. <laughs> And that is not um, accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, all this stems back to probably um, not too long ago during COVID when things got closed. And um, my newsletter 
um, that goes out, which has, we've done for about 10 years now, um, doing things not all full time. Every, we have a variety of different things we do. We send it out via a newsletter. So the best way to find out about what we're doing is to go to our website, and there is a form that says, if you'd like to know what events we're doing. And the website is? www.thehummingbirdroom. Thehummingbirdroom. Yes, dot com. Okay. And that's the best way. And if you sign up, then um, you will you will get newsletters. You'll see. You can directly email me. It, but it's best to wait until the the menus drop, and you can see exactly what things are available when. And then you can write me questions because I try to spend most of my time in the kitchen, and less of my time um, on the on on my phone yeah. or on the internet. So yeah. That's what we do these days. I mean, then that's how we um, we got it from word of mouth. You know, we came up here six, seven years ago, and Amy Seaton at Elk Creek says, "Haven't you been to the Hummingbird Room?" What's that? <laughs> it's kind of like our speakeasy format, <laughs> and it works really well for you know us. Somebody, yes, I know a guy who knows a person right. who knows a thing. Because what happened was um, we started very long ago. You know, we opened in 1993. And how, how did that happen? I wanted to ask that. We might as well just start there. Okay, it's a long story. So um, <laughs> I'm sure I, you've told it a couple times. A few, a few <laughs> times over 30 years. Okay. My husband was working at Lebec Fen in Philadelphia, and we had um, a small child who is now 31 years old. And one night, Eric came home from work and said where's the baby? And I said, he sleeps for the night now. And because he worked restaurant hours, he said, I'm never going to see my son grow up. And I said, not if we don't do something different. And as luck had it, because um, I had attended uh, Penn State, um, I had friends in this area and someone said, did you know that the Woodward Inn is for sale? So uh, we went and looked at it, but at that point, time in our lives in our 20s, the $250,000 seemed like something we could not afford. But lo and behold, um, a few, six months later or something, um, they contacted us and said, would you like to rent space here? And Mm. we said that we could do. So really, in just the, the foolish naivete and optimism of youth, we moved up to no market, 45 minutes from State College, <laughs> right. 45 minutes from Lewisburg, and said, hey, kids, let's put on a show. And we took, we literally tried to take fine dining, Eric's talents from Lebec Fen, one of the finest restaurants in the country, and do it here. We went, But back then, we did not have farm-to-table um, right possibilities there certainly were a lot of farmers but they did not grow for restaurants and when we went to the local butchers they said people around here don't eat lamb or duck or those kind of things you're interested in so it took a very long time we were pre we were we were at the the very very glimmer of farm to table Mm -hmm. and what inspired us to move out to the middle of nowhere literally was because we had both lived in france and when we got back, we said, this is what everyone should be doing. Why in the U.S.? I mean, you can order anything you want from a distributor. And, and the big restaurants in the big cities did that. They can order foie gras and caviar and anything they want. But we couldn't understand why people didn't look at local and seasonal. Mm-hmm. 
And in France, if you want um, if you want foie gras and black truffles, you go to Perigord, and you go in the winter time to get those truffles. It, but this this culture, as we've talked about a lot, this culture was not embedded in um, the United States at that point. And over 30 years, it's a remarkable thing how this has changed. It's a completely different world now. Yeah. But we were literally, literally starting at zero. Uh, it was restaurants would offer you a choice of mashed, baked, or French fries, and you and vegetables were frozen vegetable medley right. with cauliflower, broccoli, and carrots. So yeah. we did that kind of blow. 12 months a year. Yeah. All the same. All the same. Yeah. Crinkle cut. <laughs> <laughs> so things have changed a lot, and we're really excited because it certainly fit right into everything we dreamed about. So... So how do you how do you build a partnership with a farmer like that? I mean, if say you want, I don't know, a particular type of sweet potato grown, how do you, how would you do that? Um, or does it work the other way? I don't know. You often just approach people. People have become, and it's interesting because from the outside, and I think you know this from Lancaster country, living in Lancaster, mm -hmm. that we have a very big Amish community here. But in the beginning, they were not necessarily the forerunners of wanting to do things um, more resistant that were to more, it. yes, they okay. were more resistant. And they were not the ones who were driving organic goods. Mm. And they were not the ones who were on the cutting edge of things. They wanted to do things the way they had always done it. But what has happened is because I find that they are often very shrewd businessmen and they pay attention. You may think, oh, aren't they deer out there in the in the countryside not paying attention? But they do pay attention. They do pay attention, yeah. Quite a bit. And so they are open. If you go to talk to them and say, this is the product I want, they will say, how much do you need? What season do you need it? Do you have a specific? And you can... Are you going to buy it next year? Are you year? going to buy it next year? <laughs> yeah. And will you pay this amount for it? Right. And if you are willing to to uh, be smart and and work with them, they mm -hmm. work with you too. So well, that's what I when I interviewed John Ash over at Gudessa, I remember him saying that the extension agent said to him, "Look, what? you've only got eighty head. Account. What are you going to do to survive? Because you can't. What's your future? Yeah, you can't work it this way the the larger farms do. And that's when he started. Yeah, but that's how we found out too. It, um, I don't know if you if you know Bill Callahan from Callahan Farms. He, oh, yes. he retired now, yes. but we were um, literally his one of his very first customers because he would try to go and sell all this beautiful meat, all this organic, gorgeously raised things, and people were very resistant to the price, and he was unable to find a market. Mm -hmm. And over time, and so we started. Started, you know, can you make a porchetta for absolutely can I'll we'll take that chicken we'll take anything he had we would take right and over time it became and this has happened very very often with a lot of the suppliers that we have over time when they start out they're able to give us everything we want and we can do a great wholesale business with them mm -hmm. and then over time their retail business um, grows enough so oh. they no longer need us <laughs> And we become obsolete, which yeah. is which is a sign of success. Sure, so. sure. But, I mean, it's a greater success, but still. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think over time, what has happened is we've just formed really great friendships. We've known we've known John Esch for for thirty years. Mm -hmm. He knew when our, our son when he was a year old. Oh you my know. gosh. <laughs> 
so and, and the you know, sometimes the faces change, but the community is the same, and mm -hmm. we still have a great community here. You know, there was a time when you could go to Burkholders and get every flour and everything you, every kind of baking good you needed. But when I asked them where the seafood was, they took me to the frozen fish sticks. Yes. And that's the way it was. Yes. And it's not like that now. But no. it's. No, I mean, as, as, as I found out to my delight, they have all kinds of stuff. They have all kinds of stuff yeah. now. But yeah. 30 years ago, it was, it was a land of infinite possibilities. But none of it was realized. So none we had to work right. really hard to get that here. But it, it's, it's wonderful to see. So we're delighted. Yeah, I mean the response has been tremendous. I still, I still look at the um, the I don't know what do you call the barn? Is it the catering menu or the pickup menu? Um, we we still call. <laughs> <laughs> Once we decided, okay, there was a period of time where we closed the restaurant, and I say we we joined the circus for <laughs> for for eight years. We literally ran off and worked on on private mega yachts. With unlimited oh budgets and sailed the world. I was not aware of that. That was oh. wonderful. We closed in 2005 and we came back, uh, I think, in 2013. Yes, eight years. So 2013. And we lived the dream. You we must have learned a tremendous amount. We spent the summers in the Mediterranean. We're usually based out of Nice and Eric... We did it full time, and I dropped in when I could. Our son was in high school, and, and in the winters we were in the Caribbean. It, it was not awful, yeah. <laughs> but surprisingly, my husband got homesick and wanted to come home. So, okay, <laughs> and eventually I relented and let him. <laughs> so when he came back, we said, "Okay." Full-time restaurants, you know, it's like dog years. Multiply times mm. seven because it's it's a grueling lifestyle. So we said, okay, let's find a different format. So our different format were um, monthly um, um, gourmet dinners. We do we did tasting dinners, and that I called Miss Ruby's Supper Club. I have my moniker's Miss Ruby. So yeah, she's I, the one who's polite. I'm to the, ask you about that persona. <laughs> It started when Eric was in yachting, and I wanted to do some things, but I didn't feel it was appropriate to call myself the Hummingbird Room because we are an absolute team. Okay. And somebody said, well, maybe something that has to do with hummingbirds. Oh, The ruby-throated ruby oh, hummingbird. I never even made that connection. I can't believe it. So I became Miss Ruby, okay. so I could do a little thing that wasn't the Hummingbird Room. Mm -hmm. So um, Miss Ruby's Supper Club became... Uh, monthly seasonal beautiful local tasting menus that we did all the time and then we would you can't do that four weekends in a row you can mm. do one weekend in a row then we alternated with barn shops where you had lots of retail items which we do now all of eric's beautiful raviolis and sausages and hams and hams. i made breads and desserts and fantastic things jams and our caramel sauce and all that happened and um that's really what saved us during COVID because we, and then we had occasional, we would do also our gourmet to go was the other part of that. So we had, we alternated weekly with these things and the gourmet to go is literally a, a fancy dinner that comes packaged. It's not, um, it's not a reheat. It's not takeout that's hot and you mm. have to go microwave it. It's something that's finished within um, half an hour of, 
of being put on your table that you actually finish with all the frills. The thing I object to when someone buys Blue Apron is that they get a bunch of ingredients that are <laughs> yes. somebody has shopped for you, but it, it's only as good as your skill level. And the recipes are obviously minimal because you only have half an hour to get it on the table. Right. But Eric starts making his truffle sauce on Monday, and when you get it on Saturday, it's a fine thing. And I make fancier desserts, yeah. and everything's just a little bit fancier, and you finish it home. So when COVID came and everything was closed, and we had nothing more um, for us to do in person, we realized that we had all the makings of an entire business with Gourmet to Go. So it it's. I believe it started with our Christmas dinner that's coming up. Um, the Christmas dinner has always been the same thing. It's a beautiful seafood bisque, with uh, followed by a gorgeous, just fantastic beef Wellington. We have a phenomenal gratin potato that everyone loves. That's kind of we're famous for. Um, a salad with salad, fresh mandarins so nice. and cranberries and maple mustard vinaigrette. And then this just over-the-top, soft, moist uh, gingerbread with sea salt caramel and Myers whipped cream. It's, it's, a, it's a dinner. It's a fantastic dinner. Yes. And that, and that dinner that started when we came back 10 years ago also begat... What are we going to do with November became Thanksgiving, which we just fed over 200 people Thanksgiving dinner, and it became Valentine's Day and Memorial Day and Mother's Day and Fourth of July. And so we had all those things in place. And when COVID came, the little, the little tiniest slice of our business became our entire business. Mm -hmm. So pretty much when we're not away from here we're putting out a menu every few weeks with something that's seasonal and local yeah. and fancier than you want to make and it's packaged for four if you're two people you can find easy ways to make that tonight's dinner and a lunch eat these parts today tomorrow we'll eat that and then i have all the the fancy things that people don't have time for mm -hmm. and that's i think that's the thing that really it was a tremendous success over covid but it's still a success now because mm -hmm. people can come on saturday and pick up homemade breads my apple cake is famous this time of year and i'm making a fancy black forest cake for christmas Ooh. and we have like i said all all these things are on these lists you can i know you, you have two pages of stuff i know that's great <laughs> And we do, and we do some things. We're getting more into the, if you know the word traiteur in French, it's it it's where you go to a shop that has prepared fancier entree kind of things and and fancy things to go along with it. So okay. that's that's where our menus have expanded. Eric has his boudin blanc Christmas sausages, his pâtés, his smoked salmon, which is world famous okay that was one of the things i wanted to ask you but i think our favorite thing out of the barn is the salmon mousse because we just it's great isn't oh it oh my god i find myself at when you know when we've dipped all of it i just take my finger and run it around the inside <laughs> of the jar and lick it it's so good it is well it's made with wild salmon how oh, could it be bad okay. how could it be how could so any eric smokes it himself how, it, how do you make that 
Well, he, I mean, I don't want secrets. I just no, want a general he, idea. But he gets wild salmon, uh-huh. and then he cold smokes it in the house, which is what makes that salmon mm. so ridiculously good. Yeah. And then that becomes the, the base of that moose, which is just fantastic. And I laugh because people write me all the time, and they say, it seems that you have sent me an empty jar. I know it came into the house. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I also have a lot of... It evaporated. I... <laughs> I hate to say this, but I have a lot of women who say, I didn't tell my husband that there was dessert in the dinner this week. <laughs> this, this is the way we almost always get two jars of the moose now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And someone told me that eight ounces for a jar was amateur and that we need to... <laughs> I need the Nutella tub we size. Need to, we need to supersize the... Smoked salmon moose. But I have, you know, we've expanded now over the years. I have a, when when the beautiful tomatoes are in, in the summer, I make this beautiful Tuscan tomato sauce. So you have the building blocks of meals, even if you, even if you get the gourmet to go dinner, Mm -hmm. you have other options. Now I've just added the past couple of years, I have an Alsatian tart Mm. that's bacon and, um, Vidalia onions that are caramelized, and then that beca- begat another tart that I did for a dinner. That's a savory uh, pear and blue cheese tart. That's you take something like that and you heat it in the oven for a short amount of time. You make a little salad. You have something else sweet from my list, and you have dinner. Yeah, and it's homemade and it's real. And a lot of these things come; those tarts and the the four cheese lasagna with the greens from our garden, fantastic. And they're in the freezer. We make them for you. We put them in the freezer. You keep them in the freezer. You bring it out, pop it in the oven. You have a fresh dinner. Yeah. In under half an hour. And it's made right here. And it's made right here. We make everything right here. Right. And it's all fresh, and it's all butter, and it's all cream. <laughs> a long a time ago, yes. a long time ago, someone asked Eric, what is the secret to your cooking chef? And he said, pound of butter, quarter cream. <laughs> and we still live by that. That's not to say there are not other choices on the menu, because there are. Sure. And... Uh, but there are times when when we live um, more austerely, and at other times we have a celebration. Yeah. And this is the holiday, so yeah. we say, let's celebrate a little. Sometimes you just need to celebrate another week. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, yeah. for sure. So there was one thing I wanted to ask about the menu, and I was just looking at the latest newsletter. You mentioned that there were some things that didn't get on the biscotti, the scones, how do you make the decision on what goes on and what doesn't? Uh, well, um, I mean, is it just realism? <laughs> I don't want I don't want to say that I um, o- am overly optimistic, but I am. <laughs> I always overestimate what I'm able to do. Uh-huh. But the good part about having been in this business so long is that now I understand that I will do this every year. So I am hoping by the by the twenty third. There's so many things that that um, are are popular now. I do really have to pick things like scones and biscotti are intensely um, labor intensive. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, sometimes I have to say, we have to pick a few things that, that I can make that don't take an entire day to make a few of. So that's the decision. But I also know that in their heart of hearts, if they could just have one of those, those beautiful, fluffy lemon blueberry scones, it would, or a bacon and cheddar, they, it would just make their day. Yeah. So I'm always, no. <laughs> yes, yeah. and I'm always, I'm, so I, sometimes I dangle a little, well, it's not on there, but there's still hope. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, exactly the impression I got. And we work as hard as we can because the last thing I want to do, I have a relationship with our clientele, and that's that whole thing about, um, subscribing to a newsletter i get emails every single day and they aren't just orders they're people Mm -hmm. talking about their lives and what's going on or the last thing you wrote about in your life really hit home for me i'm feeling the same way it it's become a i think um the biggest thing i've noticed post um uh, covid is that I think people want experiences and contact. We lost that for a, for a number of years with yeah. COVID. And now I really feel like people um, crave having um, a real connection, some kind of a heart connection. And I get that all the time. And and I we put a lot of ourselves in what we do. Yes. And I think it connects with people. I really do. They can tell that we are trying our very best and we're not, you know, the prices are shocking for us too. Yeah. Why did butter go up a, a dollar a pound from Thanksgiving to today? Yeah. I don't know. And I have to always try and weigh the possibilities, but we never scrimp. We, we might have to raise the prices and we know that people understand because quality is, is everything that we are. Right. It's all about quality. So we do our very best to give people a great product and make them always satisfied. When people want to get some of the, the barn shop stuff, if I I would order ahead, we always do. But if there's other stuff there, there's other stuff there. No, at this point, uh-huh. this is what I did not say about that. Sure. That that used to be a live thing right. that we created, and you literally went into our barn behind our house, and we set everything up, and it it was difficult back then and it's impossible now because you never know what people are going to want you make 16 apple cakes and oh they wanted the chocolate or you made 30 baguettes and they really wanted more kalamata olive loaf I mean, so the, the waste i would assume the is waste frustrating. the that waste is impossible these days because yeah. we're all on such tiny tiny margins now right. that so you'll see when you look at these things it'll say um It'll say the holiday virtual barn shop. So uh, everything is pre-ordered okay. now. Good. So we know what to focus on and we know what to make. And you're guaranteed that when you drive all the way out here, you're going to get it. Oh, right. Because that's the worst part is when you drive out here and you go to the barn and they're like, oh, we were so busy today. Sorry, <laughs> here's one jar of strawberry jam for you. <laughs> <laughs> but no baked goods. Okay, okay and no salmon mousse. <laughs> that would be. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's. So all of it reasonable. has really been like that, yeah. and and what I am saying is because if this goes out on the fourteenth and everybody says, but did but 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 they can they can write me at Miss Ruby at the Hummingbird Room dot com, and I can send them over the latest newsletter. 
Um, that's on our website too, thehummingbirdroom.com. And this is all pickup. And all of this, right. well, it's pickup, but now the other factor that was a fabulous idea and continues to be a fabulous idea is on these weekends, on these Saturdays, when we do these things with the gourmet to go, the barn shop, and the holiday bake shop, we offer delivery. It's a $10 flat fee. Okay. We will go into State College or Belfon, or we even go out to Port Matilda. My husband oh. will kill me for saying that. But <laughs> we have a big community here, yes. and we travel. We will bring bags, wonderful bags of beautiful food right to your doorstep. Wow. We can't tell you the exact time. We're a bit like the cable guy. It okay. will be between 2 and 5 on Saturday. All right. It's not all day long, but on Saturday, depending on the route of the the many drivers we have, they mm -hmm. load their car up with all these goodies and like Santa's sleigh, That's they show up at your yes. door and drop packages and people squeal. I'll bet. Thanksgiving was the most, it, it, it sometimes makes me cry because it literally was an idea, what do we do? No one wants to come and eat fancy French food for Thanksgiving. How are we going to make... A business of this mm -hmm. now and so 10 years ago we said well maybe we could offer just a traditional thanksgiving dinner and it it was crazy because we didn't plan ahead and we were up all night <laughs> there were a lot of wild things that happened but now we're on our ninth year and and people get an entire menu yes an entire menu and all of it, the turkeys are roasted and carved and broken down and real gravy and mashed potatoes and stuffing. And so I think what we do is really try to anchor memories. I'm making lots of traditional grandma cookies right now and, and desserts. And Well, that gives me my segue, <laughs> making memories. The last time we were here for dine-in was December of 2019. Yeah. It was a few days after our 30th anniversary. We brought the kids. Yeah. Well, kids are adult children. Our I remember offspring. where you sat. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, my daughter still talks about the soup that we had. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a memory. We, we look at the picture often. Is that going to happen again ever? Um, it's highly possible. Oh. Because... Um, we had a little, we had a, a brief moment where we did some consulting over the summer and we had a moment where we were actually, um, chef was back in the kitchen with his brigade of, of young people. His kitchen or a different kitchen? Well, someone else's kitchen okay, but... because we were consulting, but, um, he, he got the experience and the adrenaline. And for a chef, there really is no, <laughs> no comparison to <laughs> live and the intensity and the food. And um, it was a really nice experience because he misses that. Mm. It's just he and I and, you know, occasionally somebody packaging things. And it's not the same vibe. No. no. <laughs> and he's tired of me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it. That's yeah, that's probably, probably. <laughs> he needs He needs some... Uh, he needs some companions in the kitchen. So, as you know, because you walked right by it, the dining room has a ladder in it right now, yes. <laughs> and there um, and there is pan there are paint cans, and oh. so this is not an immediate thing, mm -hmm. and it, I guarantee it will not be before spring because. We go away in the wintertime. <laughs> when January comes, when the holidays are 
gone. Yep. We warm our bones and sit under a mango tree, and that's what we need right now. So, but there is a thought about it. I still think that there is a space for live dining, but it has radically changed from what it was before. And all of my friends who are in in live restaurants, as I like to call them, <laughs> say, "Don't do it! Don't do it!" <laughs> It's very hard, and it is hard. It's yeah. hard to get. Um, it's hard to get employees. Wages have have. What are you making here? What is this? It's a visit from Chef. Chef has brought us a little food. Yeah. Thank you, dear. Gorgeous, but um, it, it's really a tough time for restaurants right now. A very tough time for yeah. restaurants. So, um, you know, it'll be occasional. It'll probably be quite expensive <laughs> because it has to be right because there's no sense in us just doing um something that that it could be found anywhere else it really has to be oh he's bringing out a little uh-huh. arm from 1968 oh i think he's trying to impress someone <laughs> i don't think it's me <laughs> it's working <laughs> I guess the chef should tell us what this is. Chef. So it's it's going to be um, it's going to be a a different um, a different experience. Would you like to tell us what you just brought us, chef? Oh, it's our house cured ham with the truffled mashed potato, and it's a local cider reduction with the armagnac. From 1968. Finish. And a little dram of Armagnac on the side for Luke. <laughs> Just for comparison. <laughs> that sauce was made from 160 quarts of uh, stock. Oh, stock. <laughs> These are the things you find in our oh, gourmet-to-go dinners that, right. you do not, uh, that you do not make at home right. for but certain. ham is available. Yes. That's true. That, that ham that he cures himself in-house is beautiful and delicious and moist and... So, yes, I think what will happen is, I, you know, I, I felt like we were on the right track when I saw that um, last year when Rene Redzepi from Noma, the top restaurant in the world, s- said they, they were closing their dining rooms and going to a format with retail. And it sounded very much like something we were already doing. And yeah. David Chang has closed all of his restaurants but one right now and he's doing the same thing everywhere I look people are moving to a different format because um, of the pressures that that restaurants are facing a lot of it with personnel right and people do deserve to be paid more but restaurants are fighting costs of ingredients and everything 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 went up a lot a lot so I think the the restaurant that we will reopen, we've already started talking about it. I'm not allowed I'm not allowed to talk about what okay. we are thinking of, but it's going to be a radically different format than the than the former kind of restaurants that we may have done. And once again it goes back to um so experiences. Steam tables and ladles, is that what Yes, <laughs> yes, and ladies with hairnets just <laughs> so you can be frightened back into grades. <laughs> Great school cafeteria. <laughs> no, it's all about it's all about um, connecting with people and experiences. And because it's really important for us to have experiences um, that mean something to people, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be very particular and special. 
That's what we hope. That's, I mean, that's what we want. That's what we expect, and that's what we always get. This is what. This is we we would never have gotten into this if we were not able to do our business model, which is always doing the very best we can. And that's not to say we probably are not the wealthiest uh, uh, restaurant people because we have this determination that this is the the lane that we're in and we want to stay in that lane. And you could certainly make a lot more money in other ways, but. Mm. It it just wouldn't be possible for us to be in this business if we weren't doing it this way. So that's who we are. Yep. Yep. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for, again, once again, thanks for taking the time. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's great to see you. Great Take to care. see you, Liv. <laughs> I cannot wait. And that ham that Chef made us, it was a slice about the size of the palm of my hand with neatly precise grill marks on a little pillow of potato puree made with a hint of truffle oil and dressed with the delicious sauce we talked about. The Armagnac was divine, and I savored every drop. And yes, we did purchase the Christmas dinner, and some desserts, and of course, some salmon mousse to pick up on the 23rd. Merry Christmas to us. And now, time for another drink. This is Boilo delicious hot punch made with the cheapest of whiskeys, citrus, honey, and spices. I made this batch last week and put it up in mason jars, which is what you do with Boilo. Some of it I gave to sick friends because it's good for that, and some I poured at a book signing event because it's good for that too. Ooh, wait, did you know I wrote two books about whiskey? Well, there's Tasting Whiskey, a broad introduction to all kinds of whiskey, the history, the process, the best whiskey cocktails, food pairing, collecting, and of course, how to taste it, and Whiskey Masterclass, a deep dive into all the ways that flavor and aroma are created in whiskey, from the grain to the bottle on the shelf. You can still get them in time for Christmas on Amazon, or you can buy a signed copy of Whiskey Masterclass directly from me. If you'd like that, shoot me an email at our new email address, seenthroughaglass at gmail.com, and I'll send you the details on how to do that. Okay, commercial's over. Let's get to the boilo. Wow, uh, this one. <laughs> mm. This was the last jar I bottled from this boilo. And I think some of the honey sank to the bottom. Wow, that's really sweet, but it's really boozy too. <laughs> Which is, that's what boilo is. I mean, oh boy. You can smell the spices and the citrus. And you can, wow, definitely taste the punch. I gave some of this to friends, and they told me that it was uh, one of the stronger batches they've had. So I'm going to tell you how to make this, and it is going to be wonderful for walking in from cold weather. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm going to keep drinking that. There is nothing like meeting friends who come calling during the winter holidays with a cup of hot boilo at the door. It'll warm them up, and it gets the conviviality off to a racing start. But to do that... You got to make it. There aren't bottles of Boilo at the state store. Boilo is a Northeast PA coal country thing, a tradition with Lithuanian origins, but it's become popular here in Center County too. Now, the funny thing is, when I first heard of Boilo, when I first tasted it and then made it a little over 20 years ago, it was a fairly closely held secret recipe thing. You had to know someone to get a recipe if you weren't a coal cracker. I got a recipe from a friend who had roots in the area, and I had to promise not to share. 
Now, hell, it's all over the internet. There was just a webinar on Boilo last night that a Scranton television station hosted. There are Boilo spice packets you can buy online. But don't. You can make your own very easily, and I'm going to tell you how. And by the way, I'll post this recipe and all the recipes in this episode on the Facebook page for now. All the recipes I've used in Seen Through a Glass this year will be going up on the website when it launches next year. Is this the one true way of Boilo that I'm going to give you? No, it's my recipe, and you should feel free to change it, because there are two things to know about proper Boilo. First, most folks agree that the cheaper the whiskey, the better the Boilo. Second, though, and even more important, everyone has their own recipe, and everyone's is the best ever. Go forth and Boilo. So start with a bottle of cheap whiskey. The classic is Four Queens. It's a 101-proof blended whiskey that the PA State stores sell for under 10 bucks a bottle, though you may have to hunt for a store that has it. But any cheap blended whiskey will do, or, God help me, you can get Everclear at 151 proof for about 24 bucks. It's your head. Hang on, another sip of Boilo. Mmm. Honey. Get three big oranges, two lemons, and three pounds of honey. Again, cheap honey is fine. Measure out two cups of water into a large pot with a tight-fitting lid and add the honey. Measure your spices. You're going to need a teaspoon of whole cloves, a half teaspoon of allspice, a teaspoon of peppercorns, a cinnamon stick, and here's the weird part, a tablespoon of caraway seeds. Now that seems like a lot of caraway, but they're really just going to bring everything together and you barely taste them. Add the spices to the pot. Get your oranges and lemons, wash them well, peeling off any labels, quarter them, and squeeze them hard into the pot, and then add the squeezed fruit in there too. Put the pot over high heat and bring to a boil for five minutes. Then you turn the heat all the way down and let it simmer for 30 minutes. Get a mesh strainer, or I just put a clean dish towel in a metal colander, and pour the liquid through it into a large bowl. Give the pot a quick rinse with hot water, pour the strained liquid back in, and pour the whiskey into the pot. Stir it up well and cover it with the lid. Now you let it sit for an hour and then pour it into mason jars. You can pour some of it right back into the whiskey bottle if you've got a good funnel. Put the cinnamon stick in one of them just for fun. Then refrigerate and wait for the company to arrive. The best way to warm it up is in a covered crock pot so the alcohol doesn't evaporate away because you wouldn't want that. Serve it in a small coffee cup Garnished with a thin orange slice if you want, and get that holiday spirit. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. And right from that to another one, the hot whiskey. The Irish hot whiskey is what you've probably heard called a hot toddy. The Irish are just a bit more direct about it. What I'm telling you about is a slight variation on the hot whiskey. Adding the lemon peel makes it a whiskey skin, if you want to. Let's just call it a hot whiskey. I'm going to make one. We're going to try it, then I'm going to tell you how it's done. Oh, that is warming. Mm. The nice thing about a hot whiskey is that it's boiling water, so it's really hot. And it just carries the aromas tremendously. And, of course, it warms up the whiskey and that alcohol. I mean, that's why they use alcohol and perfume. It just brings those aromas to your nose. I'm smelling the honey and the the whiskey, of course, the the sweet cereal notes of that Irish whiskey. Uh, I've got Jameson in here, the spiciness of the cloves, and just that that sharp edge of lemon. Oh, i got to try this. Oh, that's so good. And, you know, the secret is not getting too much honey in it. 
Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm patting myself on the back here, but I really balanced this one well. Mm. Now, the thing with a, a hot whiskey or a hot toddy over, over Boilo is you don't have all that honey in it. There's just a little bit of honey in this, and it really, whew, I'm trying to put a finger on the word. It is incisive. It is clean and clear and sharp. It's like whiskey with hot and whiskey with a little bit more acid and but whiskey with a little bit of that that honey roundness to it. This is this is just a great drink. I love it. And that's why people like high, hot toddies. If someone gives you a hot toddy and it's got chocolate in it, just you didn't get that. You just get a cup of hot chocolate and pour some rum in it for God's sake. If you want a hot toddy, it is hot water and well, let me tell you how to make them. Hot whiskey is easy compared to Boilo. If it weren't for the boiling water, a six-year-old could make one. So put your tea kettle on, and while you're waiting for it to sing, take a slice of lemon and poke a few whole cloves through the skin. You, you don't have to use the cloves, but it makes a better drink. So you get your mug, your Irish whiskey, and some sugar ready. White sugar will do. I used honey. Demerara sugar is more authentic if you have it. When the water's boiling, rinse the mug with a good dose of it and let the water heat up the mug. Pour that out, add a teaspoon of sugar or honey and about an ounce of boiling water and stir it till it's dissolved. Add two ounces of Irish whiskey, whatever, Powers, Jameson, Blackbush, and your lemon slice and another ounce of boiling water. Stir once and enjoy. It's easy peasy and a great way to clear up any congestion you have before you go caroling. So one more hot drink is needed, and it's one that's very much connected to the Christmas season, Glühwein. Glühwein is the German take on mulled wine, a heated dry red wine with spices, some sugar, and sometimes a stiffening dose of brandy or rum. The outdoor Christmas markets in Germany and Eastern Europe that Christkindle marked often seem to run on steaming cups of Glühwein. Glühwein literally means glow wine or smoldering wine, a reference both to the heat and the alcohol. The cups of hot spiced wine will warm your hands and your innards. Let's try them. Mm, once again, smelling really good. I love these hot drinks because they are so aromatic. Um, this one is so hot that I'm having to hold the glass by the rim. Mm, so when I smell it, the, uh, the dry red wine, I used a, a Pinot, Pinot Noir, has become, all the fruit has come out. Um, I mean, there's orange in this, but I'm getting some black currant and some cherry. Of course, the orange, a little bit of the, uh, there's cloves in this. There's that weird thing of allspice. A little bit of cinnamon. I had cinnamon sticks in this, and I'm, I'm surprised at how little there is. I'm going to have this. This is uh, right out of the crock pot, so it's pretty hot. Mm, mm. So I like my Glühwein without quite as much sugar, so I, I, I don't like it when it gets all gloppy. So this has got a nice smack of that dry Pinot character to it. The spices are very present, but not gross. Mm. Wow, it gives it a real bulkiness. And it's so warm and so aromatic. I mean, all of this, I'm thinking of that whole Brilla Savarin thing where the uh, the nose is the chimney for the mouth, and it really is. This is firing right up into my olfactory. Boy, yeah, I could do with a mug of that and be walking around the old Chris Kindlemorn, huh? Like Boilo, Glühwein has a lot of personal attitude, and everyone, every Chris Kindlemart stand, 
has a different recipe. But here's how I made mine. I didn't add spirits or vanilla. Like I said, I like it with a little less sugar. It's pretty easy. Here's how. I got a $10 screw top bottle of Pinot Noir at Wegmans. It was Dark Horse, one of the better cheap Pinots. Poured it into a small crock pot, and then I took two oranges, washed them, cut them into eight even slices each, and put them in the wine. Spices next. Three whole cinnamon sticks, two whole star anise pods, five allspice berries, and five whole cloves. Then I put it in a tablespoon of honey, gave it a stir, put the lid back on, let it go for an hour. Got to watch to make sure it doesn't boil. And then I strained out the slices and the spices. I checked it for my personal sugar honey preference. Good, but I put a little bit more honey in. And the glue vine's good to go. I'll tell you what, drinking this <sighs> kind of puts me back in Bomberg, the last German Chris Kindlemart I was at. Trilling of Einachten. Now, when you're out at the Christmas markets and the Christmas parades and the Christmas shopping and the occasional Christmas brew pub or winery visit, it's always nice to come home to a delicious pot of hot soup. One of our favorites is my wife's family recipe for fish chowder. We just had it last night. The child's family is an upstate New York family, and I've spent many snowy winter weekends at their houses playing euchre while fish chowder is cooking. It's one of our favorite cold-weather dinners, and we keep some of the ingredients in the pantry and the freezer all the time, just in case. All it takes is about 15 minutes of prep, and then you can get back to trimming the tree or the porch, baking cookies, wrapping presents, or watching your favorite Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life? Elf? Die Hard? I'm not judging. And the chowder cooks for about 45 minutes. Add a salad and a good loaf of crusty bread, and that's some wintertime satisfaction. Here's how you do it. Get a five-quart pot or a Dutch oven and fry two slices of bacon in it till it's good and crisp, but not burnt. Drain the grease and let the bacon cool. Now chop up a large onion and two potatoes. And, you know, if the skins are nice, you don't have to peel them. Just wash them and trim them. Take about a pound of white fish, cod, halibut, tilapia, catfish, whatever, and cut it into one-inch chunks. Crumble that bacon. Put all of that in the pot and then add two six-ounce cans of minced or chopped clams with the liquid and two bottles of clam juice. And remember to shake them before opening. Get all that good stuff in the bottom of the bottle. If needed, add just enough water to cover the stuff. Put it on medium heat, cover it, and let it go for 45 minutes. Don't worry if it boils. That's fine. At that point, the potatoes and the fish should be cooked. Check them if the chunks are large. If they're done... At this point, you can just add a cup of whole milk or half and half. Stir it and serve it, adding salt and pepper to taste. My taste runs to a lot of pepper and not much salt. Or you can add half a pound of raw or cooked shrimp, cut up into chunks, or a handful of those little bay scallops, or some of the fake crab chunks, or real crab if you have the money, a tin of smoked oysters, any good thing like that, and leave the heat on for another five minutes, and then add the dairy and the salt and pepper. So good. From Kathy's family, enjoy. Hey, does anyone feel like dessert? How about peanut butter meltaways? I asked Central PA friends on Facebook, what Central Pennsylvania food or drink means Christmas has arrived for you? Some folks said Otto's Winter Warmer Ale, some said Trogue's Mad Elf, some said Meyer Dairy Eggnog, and some folks did say the Froelich's Kielbasi. 
But a lot of people said Gardner's peanut butter meltaways, the peanut butter filled chocolate candies. As several people took pains to explain, they're not like peanut butter cups. The peanut butter is creamy. So I went to the Gardner's store in State College to do some research, and sure enough, there was a difference. I got in touch with the folks at Gardner's down in Tyrone, PA, and set up an interview. Hey, I'm at Gardner's Candies in Tyrone, Pennsylvania, with president of the company, Joe DeStadio, and the digital marketing specialist, Zoe Aspereth. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be here, too. I've I've been kind of looking forward to this. Before we get to the the holiday stuff, which I know everybody wants to hear, can you tell me some of the history of Gardner's Candies? Who started it? When? And were they making candies or just reselling? How did that start out? Well, from from what I know and what I've been told, uh, the company was started in 1897 by a man by the name of James uh, Pike Gardner. Pike being a nickname or middle name? I believe a nickname. Okay. I'm not real sure on that. And I believe he started the company by eventually selling uh, roadside uh, candies or nuts in a you know a little roadside uh, buggy, if you would. Oh, I, I think okay. is, I think is how that started. Mm-hmm. It's an early food truck. <laughs> it kind of, pretty much. yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then it, you know it expanded into uh, the candy side, and uh, you know the rest is is pretty much history where where it came from. Uh, the the Gardner family and you know maintained control of the company for many years and in you know 1992 the 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 president of the company passed away unfortunately uh, and then uh, the control of the company kind of went back and forth a little bit with between his father and oh. uh, and another uh, in law if you will. And eventually, the the gentleman that passed away, his father, came back in control of the company in ninety uh, one, and then excuse me, ninety two, and then um, eventually he was looking for suitors mm. to purchase. And in nineteen ninety seven, uh, we were acquired by the Saris family, and uh, and they've got a, a candy business in the Cannonsburg. Oh, okay. Uh, area. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of it to, to get us up to up uh-huh. to speed. We've been part of, uh, we've been sister companies with Sarah's Candy since 1997. And, and I assume they're, a, I'm, I'm not familiar with them, they're a, a, an independent company as well? Yes, mm-hmm. uh, we do the same thing. We okay. make gourmet chocolates, gourmet box chocolates. Um, they have a peanut butter melt-away. We have a peanut butter oh, melt-away. Really? Okay. It's, it's the same. <laughs> the chocolate is formulated for both companies. Okay. And uh, they control... You know, the Western PA, Eastern Ohio, West Virginia market. Um, and, you know, we've got Central PA here pretty pretty well locked down. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. been a good marriage good. so far. Yeah. Good. I always like to hear that. All the Gardner's candies are made here at this facility? Everything is made uh, at this at this factory. And we run a, you know, one eight-hour shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got seven, you know, retail stores that we own and operate. Mm-hmm. And there is one additional store that we consider a licensed dealer. It's individually owned and operated. Okay. Um, and they're all in central Pennsylvania? Uh, yes. We have one here in Tyrone, uh, one in State College, Huntington, Altoona, Johnstown, Indiana, Dubois. Okay. Mm-hmm. I believe that was seven. <laughs> and then our... Um, 
our licensed dealer, they're out in Catanning, so even oh, okay. a little closer out west, too. All right, I've teased the listeners long enough. Let's let's talk about the peanut butter meltaways. How long has Gardner's been making those? Boy, I think it may may go back to, to those days. To the uh, origins. And, and, yeah, I, oh. I, I really uh, don't know much about uh, when it was originally produced, but it has been around since since then and uh you know we we uh, domestically source our peanut butter oh okay and then we add an ingredient to make it creamy and that's why you're getting that nice creamy uh texture to it and and taste as well okay so it makes Uh, it really unique yes that's a that's that's what i was wondering what what is it that makes it it's that it's yeah because the filling is not some right. of them are cakey. They're yeah. not like that. Right. And, yeah. and it's much different than a, than a Reese's peanut butter cup. Very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then the other thing, I was I just, I realized when I revisited, and because I just went up to the State College store recently and got some mm-hmm. just so I had that fresh mm-hmm. in my mind when I came down. So I've noticed on, on filled chocolates like that, like the peanut butter cups and like the Meldaways, Chocolatiers seem to shift their balance. Some of them lean more into the chocolate. Some of them have a thin shell and have more peanut butter. You're clearly choosing to emphasize the chocolate, and it, and I love that. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the decision there? Is it just because you have such good chocolate? Or? <laughs> yeah, pretty much so. I mean, we, <laughs> we we can control the ratio depending on which uh, piece of machinery that uh, the product is made on. You know, we, again, as an example, we double coat our, our chocolate-covered nuts. Okay. So you're mm-hmm. getting a really nice ratio of chocolate to nut there. Yeah, it's not just a uh, thin shell. Correct. Okay. So uh, with our with our chocolate being, you know, high-quality milk chocolate, you know, we want to emphasize, obviously, that uh, as well as the, the center. Yeah. And I, I've seen other... Um, well, what other flavors of Meldaway? I thought I saw an almond butter one. We used to, but we have a we have a chocolate Meltaway. Okay. Um, oh. we, we have a mint Meltaway, I believe is is, uh, but the, the chocolate Meltaway is is unique as well. It's got a it's a rich rich tasting. We have a cashew Meltaway, mm. a cappuccino Meltaway <laughs> for those that are coffee lovers. Okay. Which again, it, it's it's a nice uh, flavor for those that like coffee. Yeah. 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 So like we have the peanut butter meltaway, like for any peanut butter fans, but basically those other meltaways, the cappuccino, chocolate, you basically get that outer really good shell, but with that same kind of like creaminess that kind of like just dissolves right in your mouth. And the and caramel cringles, are they? Is that essentially a caramel meltaway or is there something it, it is strictly uh, a liquid uh, car- oh, okay. caramel. caramel filling. Yeah. yeah, but we do have um a lot of what we do, too, is we have um, peanut butter novelties, like, around the holidays. Like, mm-hmm. we have Christmas ones, and they're adorable little Christmas shapes that are, you know, milk chocolate and filled with melt-away. We have them for Easter as well, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, I mean, that was another question. Are Do sales of the melt-aways go up at Christmas? I mean, I assume every candy goes up at Christmas. But... Correct. Yeah, primarily the melt-away is our, is our biggest seller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Regardless of the time of year. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, it, All right. It, it, it ranks. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the the shelving and displays in the stores pretty much give that away. That right. It gets pride Correct. of place. Mm-hmm. Correct. You also do a lot of work with uh, fundraising groups. How how does that work? Are the candies relabeled, or it still says Gardeners on it, or they're just it's, selling them? It still sell uh, says Gardeners on it. Okay. We have two two programs. Basically, we have a, a candy bar program, okay. and we have a a holiday program depending mm-hmm. on the type of year. 
the candy bar program, we feature, I believe, six or seven flavors mm-hmm. uh, in the bar, the peanut butter, excuse me, the peanut butter melt away, of course. And we have inclusions such as almonds, crispies, uh, pieces salted of salted pretzel, pretzel yeah. uh, okay. caramel. Uh, we have a, a solid milk, uh, a dark chocolate oh. bar. And those can be, you know, purchased by any fundraising group, any nonprofit. They set the selling price. Uh, so the, okay. days of the, the days of the dollar bar, quote unquote, <laughs> are yes. pretty much coming to yeah. an end. I mean, if you're a fundraising group, you want to make as much profit as you can. So, sure. you know, we're promoting the two for three dollar um, promotion to our uh, to our groups. We can't control what they sell it for, but. Um, and that seems to be having uh, success right now for us. Mm-hmm. The holiday programs are the programs that have the colored brochure with multiple oh items. choices uh, that we do an order and correct. Gotcha. And, mm-hmm. you know, okay. We 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 if uh, if it's a, a school group that's selling, we pre-sort each child's order oh, and deliver nice. it and 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 sort it that way. So uh, our service really is uh, second to none when yeah. it comes to... Makes it as easy as possible. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, as a parent, I thank you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We live through that. Yeah. The, 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 the employees that do the pre-sorting, uh, they're relieved when the season <laughs> is finished. Uh, it comes they, to an end. Yeah, it, it's, they, they do a great job uh, for us. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. It's always more work. Yeah. And um, is, that a, is that a significant part of the business? The fundraising? It, it's, it can be. Okay. It, it's, you know, we took a hit uh, during COVID, oh, of course, sure. with mm-hmm. the schools being not in session, but we're, you know, we're seeing that uh, coming back, so, which yeah. is a good sign. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have the, um, the, the store here in Tyrone and the, and the candy museum. Tell me about the candy museum. The candy museum is, is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it sits between the, the candy section of our store and the ice cream parlor. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lot of neat uh, little odds and ends of, of the candy business, mm-hmm. the, the copper kettles, uh, the metal molds that, that were oh, used nice. years, ago, years ago to make an Easter bunny, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, All kinds of kooky shapes, too. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got uh, heart-shaped boxes that are in, in a display case. And legend has it that that Mr. Gardner was the developer oh, of, of, the of the heart-shaped, heart-shaped box. Oh, so, okay. mm-hmm. um, somebody had to. Somebody had to. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and also in the museum is a, a video of our PCN tour. Oh, nice. It was yeah. done here by the, uh, the previous president who does a fantastic job of narrating the tour and explaining what's being done. So it's a constant clip that runs yeah. mm-hmm. um but which is pretty they cool they do such nice work with that show oh yeah I, they really do yeah mm-hmm. that was a one-man operation he showed up here with a camera on his shoulder <laughs> and it was go time wow wow <laughs> so no, you can ba- no basically stoppage. just yeah. sit down and take a walk through the factory all from the comfort of our museum yeah. which is free you're allowed to just oh great go yeah. in walk around see whatever you'd like of course i mean can't resist grabbing some candy yeah. or some ice cream but <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me about the ice cream. I, I didn't even know until I started prepping for this that you had an ice cream parlor. We have an ice cream parlor How'd here, that come here about? in Tyrone. I, well, I think it was as, as long as I've been here. I've been here since '91. Oh, okay, it's <laughs> been around prior to that, and and it's it's uh, hand dipped ice cream. And it's purchased through Hershey's 
Oh, okay. Uh, uh, creamery. Mm-hmm. And it sells well. It's, it's excellent. Yeah, it's Multiple flavors. You know, we do milkshakes, sundaes, banana splits. Mm-hmm. In Tyrone, we do have some ice cream. Uh, we do have an ice cream cooler at our Logan Town Center store in Altoona, which is basically just the hand-dipped Kind of yeah, I think maybe you some can do that in a milkshake there. as well um, too. Okay. So a little smaller um, scale, but still yeah. like same ice cream, super delicious. Yeah. So just more treats, more treats, <laughs> candy and ice cream. <laughs> um, tell me more, more about the stores. The stores are open year round. Stores are open year round, and obviously we're a very seasonal business. So mm-hmm. you know we gear up before Christmas and Easter, and our our sales do decrease during the summer months, but we. We'll run specials and do what we need to do to keep our customers engaged. The, the industry, it's just one of those things you deal with in the summer months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it just declines. Uh, but you do what you can to, you know, to keep your product fresh yeah. and, uh, and hard. Yeah. And then yeah. that's where the ice cream sales pop up too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's right in Tyrone. So, you know, people can come right in off the highway. Like yeah, stop down. It's like right off the exit. Yeah. People who live in town can just walk right over. Right. And with those cooler bags too, we have those and we have a variety of other different types of merchandise as well. So I saw we have, that. You have, yeah. you have more than candy. Oh yeah. We've got a ton of stuff. Like for any Gardener's Candies fan in your life, we've got t-shirts, we've got sweatshirts, we've got mugs. And this year we just debuted our new Gardener's Candies ornament, too. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, That's so nice. we ni- yeah. need a nice little keepsake for the holidays. Yeah. Yeah, those are brand new. That's great. I, you guys seem to have a lot, a lot of the angles covered here. That's good <laughs> we to know. try, yeah. We try, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that'll do me. Uh, thanks and Merry Christmas. Awesome. Thank Merry you so Christmas much. To have you a good as well. holiday. All right. Thank you. Zoe took me around the factory afterwards. No Oompa Loompas, but it was a bit wonka-ish. The top-secret meltaway making machine. The double-coated, individually-selected nuts. And the amazing piñata-like bash cakes, each filled with wrapped candies, with a wooden mallet included. She sent me home with some samples, and we went out to the store two days later and filled everyone's stockings. Is there time for one more drink? No? All right. But don't forget, late December marks the anniversaries of the opening of two of our area's longest-running brew pubs. Sealands Grove Brewing releases their Holiday Double on December 21st. I intend to be there. Elk Creek Cafe in Milheim will be celebrating their sweet 16th anniversary with limited-release beers and return to their original opening menu on the 21st through the 23rd. Swing by and remind yourself why they've lasted this long, and tell them you heard about it on Seen Through a Glass. One last note from your small business friends at Seen Through a Glass, remember your local businesses when you do your holiday shopping. As I said last year, because it's worth repeating, locally made booze and foods make great Christmas gifts. That's what we're getting for our sibs and friends. And you still have plenty of time to get them because they're local. And hey, it's a legit opportunity to pick up something for yourself. So pick up some made-here candy or cheese or beer or wine, some locally roasted coffee or locally harvested honey. The Mifflinburg Chris Kindle Market is this weekend. Get out and see what's on offer. And remember, the whole town has great stuff, like the wild array of Santa and Krampus at the Stam House, where we visited last year. If your local farmer's market is open, go there. Your local butcher shop probably has some smoked or cured goodies you can ship or hand deliver. 
Locally made is almost as special and thoughtful as homemade. And you know, some of your own very best recipe boilo in a pint jar is always welcome. If you're running on the ragged edge and you just don't have time to pick up something, gift cards for local products wherever you are. Beer, cider, wine, honey, candy, cheese, soaps, crafts, whatever. They're quick and easy, and they tuck into a stocking. Sometimes you can even do the whole thing by email. If you're not doing it by email, and you can, pay cash. Because instead of 3% going to the credit card companies, that money will go directly to the local business's bottom line. Believe me, they need it more than Visa does. Whatever you do, however you do it, support your locals. Because that's what Seen Through a Glass is all about. Whew, man, a whole year and I couldn't come up with another Segway sound effect? Next time. One last thing for Christmas. And those of you who subscribe and have already heard the Secret Interlude episode, you can skip ahead two minutes. You see why I tell you to subscribe? I've mentioned that we're remodeling our house in Milheim. The timeline had us back in the house by Thanksgiving, but, yeah, you know, that didn't work out. And we're not going to be in the house for Christmas. So no Christmas cooking, no decorations, no Christmas tree, and it's really a favorite time of our year. We have this Christmas tradition, like a lot of Pennsylvania Germans, of hanging a small pickle ornament on the tree. Kathy hangs it, doesn't tell anyone where, the rest of us try to find this tiny little green ornament on a big green tree and then brag that we know where it is. But we won't get to do that this year. The family's a little depressed. I'm hoping you can help. Let's have the first Seen Through a Glass contest. Sometime before midnight on December 24th, Christmas Eve, send me a picture of your home Christmas tree to our brand new email address, seenthroughaglass at gmail.com. We'll pick three of them, and you get extra points for a pickle ornament, or a podcast tie-in, or a Central Pennsylvania tie-in, like, I don't know, a bottle of Mad Elf, some Purity Candy Clear Toys, Meyer Dairy, or Big Spring Eggnog, something like that. And, of course, points for goofiness. It is a contest, so as I mentioned earlier, those three winners will get, well, something. We're going to be doing some merch in 2024, probably just some stickers to start. But the three winners will get the very first three pieces of stag merch when it comes in. One picture per person, please. Be sure to include your first and last name in the email. I'll contact the winners to get your addresses to send you your prizes. And, you know, all the legal stuff. By sending in your pictures, you give me permission to post them on the stag podcast, social media accounts, and the website when we get that going. It's pretty simple. Send your Christmas tree pictures to seenthroughaglass at gmail.com, one picture per person, and the three pictures we like the most, eh, no rules, just arbitrary decisions, will get the very first pieces of Seen Through a Glass merch when it's available, which will be soon. I hope. And we have some pictures already, including one from a regular listener in the Republic of North Macedonia. Might need some extra stamps for those stickers. That's the show. My thanks to Jonathan Campbell, Joe DeStadio, and Zoe Esbreth, and Claudia Sarnow for the interviews. Thanks to all of you who have made the first year of Seen Through a Glass such a success. And remember, tell your friends. Also, my special thanks and a whole lot of love to my family for all their patience and support in this ongoing project. As always, you'll find pictures to go with this episode on Instagram at Stag Podcast 
and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass. You'll also find my link tree. Click on that to find a link to my coffee page where you can drop a few holiday bucks to keep this going. If you've already donated, thank you so much. If you like this episode, if you like the show, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. The more reviews and ratings we get, the better we do on search results and the more people find the show. Despite what you might think, the groundhog is not the state animal of Pennsylvania. That would be the white-tailed deer. Yeah, well, try getting one of those to come out of a hole and see its shadow. Next episode? Well, the next episode falls in the week between Christmas and New Year's, so it's probably going to be kind of relaxed. <laughs> I already had the interview done with a Central Pennsylvania cookbook author. It was a fun chat. We'll have some drinks and maybe, maybe a report on the first cooking I did in our new kitchen. Unfortunately, I will not be recording in my new studio. That got pushed back to the spring, like my basement bar. All in good time. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays to us all. Until next time, this is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass, raising a glass to you all from the snowy smack dab center of the Keystone State.